0: What originally brought you to Australia? Why did you think of coming here? Because uh, in
1: 1986, I came once a time in here, around really. seven years ago. So then you try again? Yeah, yeah. But on the time, I, my friends are uh, in the news, don't go for me. He okay. said,
0: maybe in last life he was your father. He says, this, it's correct when you have good friends like this, a true friend or a good friend, they teach you the right things, the good things. So if a friend like Mr. Su teaches you to come to the temple, to offer food, to help, he's a good friend. And the Buddha always said, when you're with good friends, then good things come from that. you have happiness. Try to avoid bad friends. The bad friends they take you off drinking, gambling, whatever. You try to stay with a good friend.
1: Okay. You were just saying before that uh, it's helpful for us to associate with good positive friends who bring out good traits yeah. in us. What if, if we have friends that we know have got some negative
0: that uh, are harmful traits, but we might think we could help them. The important thing with, say, friends is that if we're going to help friends, we have to be in a strong enough, stable enough position in, mentally that we can help them. So if we're with friends, um, the Buddhist teachings about so associating with good, wise friends and try to avoid uh, more harmful, negative people is because. If we're still not established in the practice and firm in our our practice, then of course the people you're with will affect you, you'll be swayed by them. You might lose your way, they might um, influence you in different ways, either subtly or just very directly. So, if you feel you're more established in your practice, you know what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, then even people who you know have maybe got some bad habits or some faults, you can still associate with them they're not going to sway you you won't just follow them and then you can maybe help them but you can give them advice and support them Um, but most importantly is this teaching also refers inwardly it refers to our own heart our own mind and we say to to avoid um, mingling or mixing with the negative forces in our own mind and try to stay with the positive the positive thoughts the wholesome thoughts and aspirations we stay with them develop them and the more negative, stressful ones, uh, we try to avoid them and that's something you're doing internally as well. Um, if you're doing this well, then your your own practice will be strong. You're not going to be swayed by other people. You know for yourself what is going to bring you happiness and it's a good way to live. You'll, you'll know what is going to bring you suffering. Uh, and so, when you are mixing with other people, you'll you won't be swayed by them if they do. Uh, they're caught into wrong views, or they don't yet understand the, the true path. They won't be able to sway you because you're firm. You understand for yourself. Even in the Buddha's own past lives, he wasn't a Buddha yet. He was still a bodhisattva. For some lives he wasn't yet um, inspired to practice the dhamma. He was interested in more worldly things, but he could be um have some good friends who would influence him and there's one life he recounted that he um had a good friend who would go to hear another buddha in, in previous era who was giving teachings regularly and had faith but our buddha in this past life he wasn't didn't yet have faith and wasn't interested to go so the friend grabbed his top knot of his hair this is in india and pulled him said you've got to go and In India that's, you know, your top knot is the most important thing, the most respected thing and you don't just pull it for no reason, it's something very special. So it's a sign, oh this is important, I better go. So his friend literally dragged him to see the Buddha. But then when he saw the Buddha, he uh, realised the Buddha's teaching is very special, very important. And from then on he started practising and... um, this, the story is, this is, is when his friend died, his friend became um, a very high up devata, angel, one who we, we call Mahabrahma. And this is that Mahabrahma was the one who in, invited our Buddha to start teaching. When he first was enlightened, he wasn't teaching yet, he actually came down and said, Oh, you must teach for the benefit of all beings. And so we have this chant that you hear, like last night, Jeffrey chanted when we invited Dhamma teaching in Pali, we say Brahma Chaloka. And this teaching is um, it's, uh, comes from that, that being Brahma who came to ask the Buddha and that's the one who pulled our Buddha in the previous life into the monastery. So, it's an example of you know the value of good friends is that sometimes we're not seeing yet what's good in life, what's important, but they can pull us towards it, take us towards it. He's happy if you have anything you want to ask about your own practice, your own daily lives, if there's anything you want to ask about the Dhamma. It's a
1: sort of a practical related, maybe it's something that you might understand, well, if you understand. Um, my grandmother is one to help me um, with accommodation, Matthew, because my health has been so, um, or up and down. She's
0: quite concerned to um, have savings our future as well as accommodation. He thinks if uh, she's in a position to do that, it's not a burden to her or a financial burden, then that's fine. Yes, you can accept that if she wants to do that. He says you you also you have to remember your debt, of gratitude to your mother and your grandmother, and um, you, what you can see what you can do for her to help her in her old age. Um, whether it's health wise, helping to care for her in any way or whatever little things you can do or bigger things you can do always remember that gratitude and because it's your grandmother you are not only helping your grandmother when you help your grandmother you're helping your mother because if your mother's not uh, in a position to help your grandmother very much, you're helping your mother do her duty so you're doing kind of two levels of dana so it's a very um, good thing if you can do that Anything you can do to help your grandmother. When
1: I, die, when I'm here, I, I don't feel able like to help my grandmother, but I keep my mind if I try and practice. the you know, then that
0: will be When we talk about helping older people, there's many ways to help, and it's not just physical help. It's also just giving them warmth, giving them attention, showing an interest in them. And so, just remember that even if you're feeling weak yourself, you can always say a few words of encouragement. Ring her up or see her, talk to her. Often, that's all they need is just that attention, that love. And uh, if you're doing that regularly, giving them some, you know, just a little bit of interest, talking to them, that that, that's also helping them in a very big way. Are you uh, sincere in in wishing to go and live? Say, if, if she was to buy a place, are you are you committed to that? And yourself, he's asking on your part. I mean,
1: I've been thinking that he the monastic and so it's quite a change. But then, given the reality of what my body's been doing, I've been thinking
0: maybe it's just practical. In the end, it's up to you to um, make your thoughts wholesome about this, not to become stressed or doubtful or... Or whatever negative um so if you are able to do that, find a way to think of this in a wholesome way, then that's good, that's fine. um you can think of that you maybe you're helping your granny, you're uh, accepting some help from her, and then you can think, well, what help can I give back, and just you know take it as a chance to do some positive things for her as well, for yourself as well, and just try and think of it in a positive way. If you can do that, then it should be fine. The important thing in practice is always to start from a place of right view, and That means to uh, have a good understanding of what is wholesome karma and unwholesome karma. That wholesome karma will bring good results, bring us towards happiness and towards liberation. Uh, whereas unwholesome karma tends to increase our attachment, increase our suffering in, in the world. Um, The more we establish ourselves in right view or samaditi, then anything we do, any decisions we have to make in life, whether it's to do with practice itself or more other, more general aspects of our lives, uh, it will be guiding us. We'll be seeing, what am I going to do here? Am I going to be harming myself, harming other people when I do this? So if you have to make a decision to do something, If you learn to think like this, then you're using your thought in a skillful way, a good way, and you'll be preventing yourself from creating more suffering for yourself or others. Um, So this is a way of training, a way of practice, whether it's actually in meditation, spiritual practice, and in that it will take you all the way to the liberation, the end of suffering. That's what the purpose of the spiritual practice is or on a more mundane level, just in our daily lives, how we have to decide how to live in the world, what we have to do. Either way, you need Samaditi there as your foundation and this will give you the right guidelines for how to decide things. So again, Samaditi is the foundation of our practice. Uh, It's the beginning of what we call the Noble Path, the Arya Maga. The Eight Factors of the Path begin with Samaditi. wisdom based on our understanding of karma, what is good, wholesome karma and unwholesome karma, what will lead us to happiness and what will lead us to suffering. Uh, it all starts in the mind with our intentions and our thoughts that we have in our mind. If they are trained in Samaditi, then our thoughts will be skilful, they will be wise, they will be skilful and then our speech and our actions will be skillful following that and this will bring us to happiness. If our thoughts are not skillful, uh, then that will lead us to speak in unskilful ways, act in unskillful ways and bring us to suffering. As we can see in society when people do get caught into situations where they're they're suffering in different ways, you know, it stems from often is from their wrong views and misunderstanding about karma. Leading to them to do, say things in an unskillful way which bring results back to them, harmful results back to them. So, th- this is the, um, the essence of our practice. Uh, we can see if we um, practice like this, this will bring us, incline the mind towards coolness, happiness. And Buddhism is taking us that way. In Nibbana, this word Nibbana, enlightenment, it really means coolness. And that's what comes when you have samadhi in the mind and you know how to think in a wise, skillful way and act, speak in that wise, skillful ways. It will always keep the heart cool. When we go the other way, we fall into wrong views, negative views. Our thinking, our speech, our actions are negative. It heats the mind up. The result is that we feel hot. Um, So you could say that the most extreme heat, the extreme suffering is that suffering of a hell realm, which we traditionally say is a very hot place where people are suffering. Um, If we have sila, we we understand about karma, we have sila morality, even though sometimes we have hot thoughts of anger or greed coming up in our minds. We have a sense of restraint, so we won't let let those thoughts spill out in our speech and actions because we have right view. So, when we understand about the suffering that we can cause through um, having having hot thoughts uh, based in greed, anger, delusion, we'll see the value of not following them. Even if sometimes they come up, we can't stop them coming up yet, we don't have enough mindfulness. We at least establish our sila and our, our basic practice of mindfulness and restraint to not let them... Uh, spill out into our external behavior, and so then we have um, a kind of a like a shade. The comparison is a shade of a nice big tree with branches and leaves in the sun. It can provide you with shade, and this is the effect of Samaditi. We have right view protecting us, stopping us from making bad karma. Uh, it's like the shade of a tree uh, If we keep practicing like this, then this will will, will keep finding happiness. And it's like we have a compass that sets our direction in life. We know which way we have to to walk or to go because we have a compass showing us which, which direction is north, south, east, west. If you don't have Samaditi then you've got no guideline. You don't know where to go. When you have to make decisions, the right way to think, the right way to speak, act, you won't know that. You won't have a guide. You'll you have lost your compass. Um, so if we can practice like this, the more... Um, we develop some Samaditi and bring it up in our lives, the more happiness we'll have. And this is the purpose of Buddhist practice, is to bring us happiness. It's just like, say, a fruit. If you have a nice, sweet, luscious fruit, you eat the fruit and you feel happy for it. You feel good because you've eaten that fruit. And this is like the Buddhist practice. When you practice um, this path, then it brings you to a state where you feel full and satisfied, just like you've eaten a nice fruit. Have most people taken a day off work or have a a, a holiday today, is that right? So in life, just as we have to, we do have to go to work and to find um, money and to find the things we need to live in the world, uh, food and clothing and shelter, Um, we also have to work for our minds and find food for our minds, our hearts. And that comes through our Dhamma practice, so like taking time on your days off to come to a monastery and listen to the Dhamma like this, make offerings like this, this is a very good way to spend that time because you're nourishing your heart in a very wholesome way. Um, and It's important to see that you know, our hearts, our minds as human beings, they have many levels. Um, they're not always sort of fixed and sort of there's always it's always one way, it's always happy, it's always sad. We can one day you can have many different moods and depending on the karma we're making, the thoughts, the intentions we have in our mind and the moods we're we're generating and getting caught into, our experience in life will be different. So you can see that um this heart it's it it can generate even what we call becoming and the cause for rebirth depending on the, the state of mind when when people have stress then you know at that time they're suffering a lot you could say they're born into suffering when they have happiness from the good things that they've done and experiencing the joy and happiness from that then they they're experiencing um that as if they're born into that so we say that when you practice the dhamma and you become more aware of good and bad karma and then try to develop good karma, and particularly get a foundation in morality, then this is what we call realizing the full human potential we have of being born in a human form. That doesn't just mean we're physically a human being, but mentally we're a human being as well. That We are um, realizing our potential to do good, to live in a moral way and to develop our mindfulness, our intelligence. Even higher than that, if we keep practicing, we keep bringing up um, wholesome thoughts and intentions, training ourselves in generosity, kindness, keeping precepts and then developing meditation, mindfulness and wisdom. We can bring our mind up to the level, we say, of a, a Devata. Even though we're still a human being with a human form, but the mind is the mind of a Deva. So, A human being is called a Manusa in Pali. A, a Manusa Devo is a, a human being but with the mind of a, a Deva. So if they were to die, their, their, their birth would be a heavenly rebirth. And they have that much more happiness than say, uh, other human beings. This is the result of our practice. Um, so the Buddha was always encouraging us to practice this very simple teaching he gave on um, Maga Puja, this day we'll be celebrating on Saturday. Sabha Papasa Akaranang. Um, just learning to abandon unwholesome ways of body, speech and mind. That's something we have to put effort into, just giving up old habits, bad habits. Developing good ways of body, speech and mind. Really uh, putting effort into developing wholesome thoughts, wholesome speech, wholesome actions. And then Satchita panang is learning to purify the mind, developing mindfulness and wisdom through um, the practice of meditation and insight, looking into the truth of things. This is what really purifies the mind and brings it up um, to a state of happiness. He gave a long talk there, so I can't remember the last bit. He said, but anyway, he finished up coming to the, the fruit again, saying that the, the fruits of the practice—you know—you you experience them for yourselves. The happiness, and this happiness is, is in increasing as, as you put more effort into the practice. You develop yourself more. Uh, it will increase, it's a bit like the fruit you talking about when you eat a fruit you feel fuller from eating that fruit say um, in the beginning you might just taste the fruit and it tastes nice but later on you taste the fruit, you, you really taste the sweetness of the fruit because your mind is more refined, it's a bit like the the happiness you receive as your practice develops maybe eventually not just taste the sweetness of the fruit but you get a nice smell from the fruit as well uh, practice is a bit like this, the more the mind opens up and experiences the joy, the happiness as a result of all the good things you've done in your Dharma practice, then the whole experience becomes um, much stronger, the, that happiness much deeper, the peace of mind much deeper, just like that fruit you're you're learning to taste and smell that fruit much more than than before.
1: Uh, Bhakti, when I meditate, I feel this energy transform from one side to the other side. And uh, then when it's come to a greater uh, samadhi, and I feel that it's close out from the body, that energy. Can you
0: explain? It? Yes, you have to understand that the the mind has energy. It's it's uh, something that is has energy, and when you start to meditate, that manifests. You become aware of it. So you might become aware of different energy forces flowing around the body. Um, the important thing is to harness that energy in a good way by focusing using a meditation object. So it might be the breathing, for instance. You put all your attention in just one spot, focusing on the in and out breath. And you don't let this energy just sort of uh, flow around and then flow out of your body. Just gather it all in this one spot and learn to control your mind that way and control this energy. And you'll find if you do that, more and more, then you'll feel more peace, more calm, more joy from your practice and your practice will develop very well. But what you explained is there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the energy of the mind manifesting. You're seeing as the mind calms down a little bit, then you see the energy flowing. But you have to practice more, deepen your practice and you'll find you can, um, you'll experience deeper peace, deeper happiness. I'll just give you a quick summary of what was discussed. Uh, It's a question about what to do with difficult people who we have to help, maybe relatives or people we're living with. And Ajahn was saying that the first important thing is always when you're dealing with difficult people, is to remember that often you can't change them, they're that way, and there's not a lot you can do, so you have to change yourself. And if you've seen the problem, then you can change yourself, it's your own attitude. This is so that you're not always getting angry with them because they're that way because there's no point getting angry because they're that way and you can't do anything about them um The other one is to always you know have a positive attitude and uh just to see what you need to do to help them if they really need help, you maybe have to help if you, they don't really need help or well, you can be more equanimous, more detached towards them, and you just have to see what the situation requires. Um, he gave the example of one of his disciples in Thailand. It's a couple um who seem basically good people, the the wife was a very good person, comes to the temple, the husband is quite a good person, but he was always getting drunk whenever they went out to any kind of a social thing. He would get drunk and not just drunk, he'd get drunk to the point where he was lying down unconscious. And so the wife was very embarrassed by this always her husband was always getting drunk. But she didn't know what to do, but she had a feeling inside, deep inside that this, her husband wasn't a bad man and it was still correct to try and help him. So, she was just very, very patient, very kind with him over many years. And then, eventually, she uh, they went on a, a pilgrimage with Ajahn unto to India. And the man got so much faith arising after that, when he came back, he said, I'm not going to drink again, I can realise now what a mistake it was. And he said, I'm now your newly born husband. It's like the old husband's dead, I'm a new husband. Um, So that patience and that kindness, it it paid off. It it, it was worth it. And so you have that attitude towards difficult people. Don't just see them as a problem and get angry with them or try and get rid of them all the time. Sometimes if you're patient enough, kind enough, you can help them. But the important thing is also to keep your own mind calm and happy, not to get caught up in the... Their problems too much. The other question was about uh, when we meditate. If we see lights as we meditate, our mind becomes peaceful. We see lights, different lights, sort of coming out of our mind, floating in front of us, like images. What to do? Uh, Tanajan just suggests, well, just know them. It's that they're just light. They're a, sight. They're a reflection or, or an image coming from our own mind as it becomes peaceful. Um, just know that and then set them aside let them go don't worry about them or become too interested about them um, and there's many experiences that we can have in meditation like this lights seeing things even seeing images of people other beings uh, and the thing is just know know them uh, note them as arising but then let them go don't be become excited or worried or scared or anything. Just know, oh, this is an image arising, it's like this and then let it go. Um, it could be, sometimes there's one description of what we call a ghost, a little firefly kind of being flying up and then uh, the image of a, of a lady. But um, the lady actually said, she said, what are you? you know, this, this being said, I'm a ghost. So, that's ok, that's the end of the doubt. You know it's a ghost, there's nothing else to uh, worry about or think about. You just know oh, this is a ghost and that's the end of it. Yeah,
1: talking about meditation, sometimes when you medicate, meditate, your mind wanders a lot. How you control them to focus back to the same place? Without you try to focus on your breathing, breathing, then you can try to concentrate. But somehow your mind keeps wondering, thinking of other things. Other parts can be mind.
0: How do you control it? In the practice of meditation you have to see the main aim is to develop what we call mindfulness, sati or awareness, inner awareness. And there's many techniques, many supporting techniques that we can use to help maintain this and develop this. So say for instance you're meditating on the breath and your mind is wandering all over the place, being very um, agitated, very restless. Uh, one very simple technique is just stop and take three much deeper breaths than normal. Deep breathe in deeply, breathe out deeply, three times, and you find that will help bring your mind back to the present moment, back to the breath, and it will sort of cut the the flow of that restless thinking. Um, another very good technique to increase, force us to increase our effort, is to count the breathing, count the breaths. So when you breathe in you count one, breathe out you count one. You do it as a pair of in-breath and out-breath. Breathe in again you count two, breathe out again you count two. You go on like this up until five, then you go back to one again and you go up to six, seven, eight, until you can count ten pairs of in-breaths and out-breaths without losing count, without losing your awareness. So you're giving your mind work to do, something to focus on. And as soon as you lose count, you know, ah, my mind is slipping again, it's wandering away. So you force it back and you have to start at one again. So if you're done doing this in a disciplined way, it will help to stem your restless energy of the mind. And then of course, there's other practices. Say like, if you're practicing meditation, you want to try and do it regularly. So try and do it at least once a day, and then you'll find you'll keep coming back to it, putting effort in that will also improve your awareness and your concentration. And then also even in your daily life when you're not sitting down meditating, also try to bring up self- awareness, mindfulness as you're doing different tasks as you're walking, as you're if you're going to work, as if you're at home, try to be mindful from moment to moment of what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're thinking. The more we develop this in our daily life, then when we come to sit meditation, we'll find that it brings some good results. Our mind will calm down and concentrate quicker. We'll have less restless energy, restless thinking. That's probably enough for this session. It's already one o'clock, so you can always come back for another talk. There's a talk tonight and there's other days he'll be here. You're welcome to come back.